Hi, and uh, welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Huchua, and as always, I'm joined by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, top of the morning to you. Top of the morning. Early morning this, uh, early morning this week. It's, a, it's, a, it's another day, another uh, bucket of the hot bean water jitter juice instead of the regular conversation juice. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. This is a Sunday morning. It's like we're going to... Uh, like the cathedral of marketing or something for our <laughs> morning, morning marketing mass. Um, well, there is a reason why you and I are both up um, a little early, early today and doing this uh, on a Sunday. It's because we're actually super excited to have um, a guest on our podcast today uh, who will um, pick up on the con- help us pick up on the conversation you and I started a few weeks ago about marketing in Scandinavia um, and uh, dive deeper into it. And so with, with that in mind, I want to introduce... Uh, Jan Montwell, who is uh, joining us from Stockholm. Um, Jan, top of the morning. Happy end of the day to you. <laughs> good morning and good evening Yes, at the same time. So nice to be on. Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, you are, so I'm sitting looking out of my window. I see blue sky and palm trees. Alex probably just sees a, blank, uh, a blanket of rain. Alex, what do you see there? No, it's not raining today. It is actually just fog. It is dense, dense fog. Very, I can't see the end of the road. Very Oregon. So, I think they put that in the very ads. Very Oregon. And uh, how about you? 34 degrees. How about you, Jan? What, what, what are you seeing? Nice. I see nothing because it's pitch black outside. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> I can just feel the cold, cold, but I just see nothing. <laughs> Because that is that is Sweden for you, winter. You uh, probably have you, of the three of us. You probably have the proper winter. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, for too long. Well, I would rather have like an LA winter. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is not. So this, is, this is just fake winter over here. I was planting a citrus tree yesterday in my front yard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah, that's right. In shorts <laughs> and a t-shirt. Well, Jan, thank you for joining us. Um, we'd love to hear a little bit about you first before we dive into this. So. Can you share your story with us? Tell us what you do. Um, we know that you're at H&M. Um, what led you there? Just kind of give us a little bit of a background on um, how you got to where you are and what you do currently. Oh, of course. Um, so yeah, let me start from the beginning. I started in AdOps in, in London way, way back. I don't really remember the the year, but it was when, when you were there as well at Neo at Ogilvy in, in London, Gosha. That's so right. I started in, in AdOps and just worked my way from AdOps up to uh, programmatic. Um, and from there, um, moved to Sweden because I felt that London, I was kind of done with London after a while. I was done living in a shoebox and paying all my salary to, to live there as well in the mold. Uh, so I thought, let's go back to Sweden. It's, uh, it's nice and airy, <laughs> although cold and dark, but it's still fine. Um, so yeah, so I moved to, uh, to Havas in Stockholm uh, and was working there as an account director for, for two years, working with various brands, um, a lot of local and a lot of international brands. Um, and from there, I moved to, uh, to Mindshare. Do the, I did the, uh, yeah, the usual agency hopping, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, joined Mindshare, uh, I think two and a half, something like that, years ago. Uh, again, digital uh, director, working with a lot of international big brands, but a lot of big Swedish brands as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly focusing on, on uh, Sweden and the Nordics. Um, from there, uh, 
around a year ago, I started thinking I am kind of done with with the media agency. I want to see what uh, what the brand side, the, the promised brand land, is about. That everyone keeps talking when when they join it from from agency side. Uh, and uh, but I still love working internationally, working in in English, uh, working with uh, yeah big uh, big campaigns so uh, yeah there's not that many international companies that you can work for from Stockholm um, if you want to stay in Stockholm so that was kind of a no-brainer to start looking at H&M which is I mean also uh, yeah a company that I've loved and looked for for a very very long time so um, so yeah I did the, the, the switch successfully and been at H&M for eight months now um, and what Thank you very much. Uh, and what I do at H&M is uh, I'm global digital media manager. So what that actually is, uh, is uh, that I work with branding across all 59 markets for H&M and do uh, all the, the branding uh, campaigns, the global branding campaigns for and mostly on social and, and uh, YouTube. So that is what I do for eight months. And uh, yeah, I can tell you, I mean, the promised land of, of brand is exactly what they tell you. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's what, that's what, that's what I, I moved brands about the same time as you did about seven months ago. And I a hundred percent agree with the, the, the switch. It's been very right? good. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> So I, I want to, uh, as before we get in, let's. I want to level set both for my edification and and just in case everyone else is also with me. We hear the terms Scandinavian and Nordic thrown around interchangeably, um, but is there a difference? Can you help clarify? Can you help us ground ourselves in what are we what are we talking about when we say those different those different words? I mean, when you do, when you say uh, Nordic, you just have uh, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Denmark, I think, right? And if you say Scandinavia, it also includes uh, Iceland. But I mean, to be honest, is is just a matter of uh, of distinction when you talk about it. Otherwise, no one really cares. I mean, it's, if it's Nordic or Scandinavian, it's pretty much the same thing. Makes sense. So like United Kingdom and Great Britain. Pretty much exactly okay. the same. Yeah. Oh, the Brit- uh, the the Americans would have you th- or would think that England, Great Britain, and United Kingdom are one thing. Yes, <laughs> which I'm 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 fine with living in the U.S. as an English person. I'm I'm not against that. Yeah, but if you were living in the U.S. as a Scottish person, you would you would take. I'd be very mad. Of, yeah, you'd put I'd be your, very you'd, mad. You'd, you'd put your kilt on and really <laughs> really talk about it in yeah. in, in harsh terms. Um, yeah, and tell us a little bit about the Nordic market. Uh, market, it's uh, it's a. It's a pretty sizable one for by European standards, for sure. It's one that comprises several countries, like you said, including Iceland and even Greenland, um, and counts about uh, 25 million people. Um, I think in the rest of the world, we, you know, we associate Scandinavia with a few things: great design, like Alex already mentioned, uh, t- tall, blonde, and blue-eyed people, IKEA. As you said, winters, maybe Santa Claus, although Coca-Cola may have uh, had more influence there. How do you think about this market? What makes the scan, you know, the Nordic market sort of um, unique um, in in the European kind of Western mindset? 
Um, I think, uh, and it goes back to uh, to advertising as well, because I was talking with my wife uh, about this just uh, just a couple of hours ago, and I think it's the the minimalistic style and and uh, what you say the great design and that kind of is unique for uh, for Scandinavia. When you look at the rest of Europe, it's all I mean it's it's a lot of colors, it's a lot of cluttered, it's uh, it's noisy. Uh, whereas in Scandinavia, you have I mean if you look at uh, IKEA ads. That is pretty much how uh, how we live in, in Sweden. It's not just make believe. It's it's actually like minimalistic uh, style. So I think that, but also like the coldness. Um, mm. Rest of Europe maybe um, a bit uh, warmer in in terms of personality and uh, interpersonal contact. Whereas in in uh, Sweden in particular, and in, yeah, Norway and, and Finland as well, more it's it's colder, and that kind of reflects our design as well. I would say Denmark is a bit. I mean, they're the weird cousin. Uh, we all love them, but they're a little bit weird. But they're still like with the, with the minimalistic design, but they're all but more more um, I don't know screamy and and, and talkative. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever heard someone I identified uh, Danish people as screamy and talkative. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. If you if you first go to, to like Finland, Norway, Sweden, then you go to Denmark, you'll have a complete shock. I was um I was uh, just as a quick aside, but I um one of my favorite my family extended family lives in Russia, and one of my favorite ways of getting there is to fly on Finnair through Helsinki, and so I get to kind of just immerse myself a little bit of their onboard entertainment. And I was watching some some piece that I think Richard Quest from CNN did about visiting Finland, and he spent time just with a lot of different people there, and they they went to saunas, a Finnish would do, um, and uh, with a former prime minister, I think of uh, of Finland. Who, told, who you know Richard Quest is like he keeps asking questions and the prime minister says you know in Finland it's completely okay for us to sit in total silence with our friends for 45 minutes and not say a single thing <laughs> <laughs> and I sometimes I sometimes say that to even like my wife like if we'll be on a, on a, on a long drive and I'll be like you know in Finland <laughs> <laughs> but that goes down well. I would I would say that is correct though. I would say I mean in Sweden we would say said maybe twenty minutes in silence, but I would say that is correct for Finland, yeah. Um yeah, I think yeah, speaking of design, this is this is it was really interesting to hear what you what you were saying about um the minimalist and, and how the, the cold influences it. Um but you you know, it's been um Sweden's world famous because of global brands like ikea h&m volvo which we usually associate with minimalism warmth clean lines sustainability though that's not always the case does that scandinavian design translate into the brand's advertising like you mentioned it with with ikea but does that like approach um you know locally and then also exported globally does that does that impact how you how you build out your brands and your your collateral I would say I would say yes and no. So uh, so right now, when you look at um, I mean the local uh, marketing, I mean we do have like the same image that you have. It's, it's clean, it's minimalistic, nice designs, um, warm or cold, but yeah, very very clean. Um, if you look at uh, abroad, you have the Volvo, IKEA, uh, H&M. All H&M ads are, well, with some exception, of course, but a lot of them are shot here in Stockholm as well. So you get that actual feeling with, with global campaigns for H&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volvo as well, the same thing. You, they're shot up north in, in Sweden to get that crisp feeling. Um, but but when you look at the ads here in Sweden as well, I think, I don't know if you have the same trend in, in the U.S., is that it's, it's gone 
a lot towards um, I mean climate climate change and mm-hmm. uh, inclusion and, and diversity so much that 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 uh, they're starting to forget uh, the distinctiveness of, of Scandinavian ads. So it's all basically the same. So it doesn't really matter if it's um, an ad for Volvo or for IKEA, which are two completely different things. Um, the tone of it and, and the USB that they want to drive is basically the same. So in order to, to try to fit in, they all just sound the same. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting that uh, that you pointed out was the Visit Sweden uh, ads where, where they were uh, taking um, yeah, different places from, from IKEA yeah. and actually saying that these are actually places. Yeah. So that, uh, that ad got some traction here in, in the media press, so to speak, here in Sweden. But, um, and that is kind of uh, what ads used to be in Sweden. They used to be, uh, I mean, emotional with, with humor. And now everyone kind of forgot about those a little bit, I would say. So, so that is a, a really interesting example because that is like natural Swedish ads. I mean, there are it's a lot of humor in them, like British ads. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but when they export it, it works really well. And it kind of forgot it. Same as like the the Icelandic uh, metaverse um, uh, <laughs> yeah. ad as well. I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> like the dry humor. So do you, uh, Jan? That's very interesting. So do you think that uh, it's it's because these brands sell into sort of global markets? They're trying to um, they're trying to ride kind of the wave of what they believe the expectations are. Um, there is is there a differentiation when they market to internally to Swedes or to the four or five markets that comprise the Nordics versus what they what they say out, out there globally? I I would say so. I mean, a lot of them I know from from H and M, for example, that that we do have when we do a global campaign, we have the same ads, the same tone for all markets, but. Uh, but a lot of the ads uh, that you might see for, I don't know, uh, Volvo or, or even Spotify, we don't see here because uh, I think that they want to, ha- they don't want to miss out or anything that everyone else is saying in, in Sweden. So mm. maybe you can, they can have that local nuance. For example, uh, I was thinking about Poland because yeah, my parents are from Poland, so I go there quite a lot. And the ads there that you see even from from Swedish brands are normally minimalistic. In Poland, you have information overload in the mm-hmm. in the same same ads so you have the same like clean maybe warm assets but you just have information all over the place and you don't really know what's going on where it's the same out here it's just one one clean message it's, it's um, interesting yeah. I mean, the the way that you have to build ads you can't if you're doing it for multiple markets especially if you're doing global you need to because of production budgets you've got to make sure that the one ad works for 5 10 15 50 markets because you can't afford to shoot one for each market specifically. So you, you end up having to water down unless you want to like really focus on your home market. I know, you know, the, yeah, I think it's like wherever the headquarters is gets the final say into like their local ad and then everyone else just has to pick it up and run with it. And then you get those like, you know, with, with the Polish example, you've got a you know, French example and a German example. They're like, well, I want to do this. And then they have their, you know, if it's a TV ad, their five second bumper on the end, which is like all the stuff that they want to say. So, yeah, it's like, yeah. how do you, you know, I, I, I think it's really interesting is from, from a brand perspective is how do you maintain your brand look and feel or your, you know, your, even if it's a Swedish brand or Swedish ethos, but apply that to a US market and a Polish market and a Chinese market. 
Exactly. Yeah. And just thought, just following up on that, uh, because it's the, the brand identity, right? Yeah. So if you are selling IKEA, which is the Scandinavian style, you don't want to tweak it for the US market or, or for, I don't know, for Brazil, because you, you are still selling the, the Scandinavian design and not Brazilian design. Yeah. So that's the, that's the most important part. It's inter- yeah, it's, it's very interesting how the brand myth, like mythology almost uh, can overcome rationale uh, in the eyes of the consumer. Um, in, in Southern California, where I live, uh, and I, I, have a, I have a Volvo, um, the ads for Volvo are the ones that you say are shot up in the north of Sweden. The car driving through some like snowy roads, snow-covered trees, never the reality within hundreds of miles of what I get to experience, <laughs> but you like just see past that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, if it can do that, it can drive me to a mall, you know? <laughs> so you, they don't need to adjust it to like, they don't need to show palm trees in the ocean. They can show that. And that makes sense because it's coming from Volvo versus if they showed it for another brand, uh, I would have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jan, globally, Sweden seems to be on the forefront when it comes to well-known brands. We just mentioned a few, not only do you guys have uh, these legacy brands like uh, like H&M, like Volvo we discussed. We also have other fairly famous brands, Electrolux, Saab, Ericsson. Um, but you also um, produce some of the biggest new brands in the world. Um, just off the top of my head, Spotify, Supercell, Klarna, the payments company, Vivina, which I had no I idea had no Alex idea. was uh, no was a Swedish brand. Um, so when we look at the, at the rest of the Nordics, we can really only point to maybe like Nokia in Finland, Carlsberg in Denmark as true global consumer brands, and that's even a stretch. So why is Sweden such a powerhouse among Nordic countries when it comes to creating global brands, like true global brands? Uh, that is a fantastic question. I've, they, they've written so many articles about it here, here in Sweden as well, because they're all obviously very, very proud of, of like Stockholm, the Silicon Valley of the Nordics or whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, because uh, I mean, first of all, I think that the Sweden and Stockholm is like the, the biggest city in, in the Nordics, right? So you, you still have like a lot of talent coming in here. And, and I think the legacy in Sweden has also been what's been driving so many new um, international brands. If you look at Ericsson, if you look at Volvo, these are really, really old brands or Electrolux, like all these like engineered, uh, yeah, engineered brands for a very long time. Uh, and it's been encouraged and, and it's kind of like pride for Sweden as well that uh, that you can uh, accomplish these well-maintained companies for such a long time uh, on an international standard. And I, and I think that has fostered all the, the, I mean, the tech boom that we have right now from Stockholm as well. Um, and what what I really like with this is as well that they are staying in Stockholm as well. I mean, maybe Spotify they're on uh, New York Stock Exchange and not, and not here in Sweden, but but they still have their headquarters here and they all mm-hmm. kind of uh, stay in in Stockholm uh, instead of of just going to I mean San Francisco. And I mean I th- I think that's uh, I I also wonder if. Uh, how much Sweden as a brand itself plays plays a role. I mean, you, men- you mentioned attracting top talent, but I feel like it's the first country we think of when we think Scandinavia. Um, Stockholm is, like you said, the biggest the biggest city um, in, in the region. And even though it's still on sort of that peninsula, uh, unlike Denmark, which is a little bit more integrated with the rest of Europe, I think it serves as kind of the hub, um, the hub for that region. And so 
when people want to migrate from maybe even other parts of of the Nordics into somewhere that's vibrant? And is that is that true that they would choose just like London is um, is attracting a ton of people from the rest of Europe as kind of the hub for creativity? Stockholm that for the Nordic world? Um, I haven't really thought about it like that, but I would say maybe yes. Uh, you would have moved to to Copenhagen for for uh, for this or or Oslo because Oslo obviously no one can afford to live there uh, because it's just way too expensive. But I, I yeah probably Stockholm and also because of all the the old legacy uh, brands as well it, it kind of like attracts talent there uh, as well because we do have top quality uh, companies uh, that attract uh, like for, like a lot of talent from India for for example for mm. engineering and, and coding. Um, so, uh, so I think it's it's a it's a legacy that that Sweden has, and uh, every uh, yeah the, the companies has uh, have been popping up since uh, yeah since ages ago in in Stockholm. So I think that we see a lot now. I don't think it's different than, than when we saw I mean Ericsson popping up or, or Saab popping up. It's just more now because yeah, I don't really know. I, yeah, not a great answer, but <laughs> it's in your it's it's in your DNA. Yeah. It's what makes you yeah. special. That's right. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I would say I would say that. Yeah, and it's also I think um, if you look at the, the difference, I mean, it's it's kind of encouraged to um, uh, yeah to work your way and, and and try it. And if you fail, it's not a big deal. It's not like you're going to be bankrupt and, and poor for the rest of your life. I mean, there are great security nets here as well. So if That's you right. try uh, and fail, you can still bounce back. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's very that's a very good point. That's a very non non US attitude. I like that. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you better be you better be rich, it'll be poor. <laughs> All right, I want to I want to pivot a little bit into into H&M um, and you can divulge as much as you uh, are uh, are willing to. Um, we will ask we may we may ask some questions you can say no to. Uh, you know, H and M is very much a global global brand, um, which you can see literally everywhere. I think I've seen an H and M in every place that I've been to. Um, how do you think about media globally? Um, you know, when you're looking at digital media specifically, um, and how do you balance like the global players uh, versus the local nuance? So, like you know, local uh, direct buys or local. Um, uh, search engines, that kind of thing, um, and then separately but conjoined creativity, which we already touched on earlier. How does how do you um, sort of like leverage both of those things um, from you know, from your headquarters, uh, but to a global audience? Yeah, as a yeah, I can't go too much because yeah, yeah H&M doesn't, <laughs> doesn't like me to talk too much about about them. But but what uh, what I can say, I mean. Um, global players, uh, would it be, I mean, Instagram or, yeah, or Snapchat, Google, TikTok, yeah, uh, exactly. whatever. yeah, Google, all of them. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You don't really ha need to have that much local knowledge in order to, to do good uh, media buys for them. So you can do the same buy in Sweden or in, um, uh, or in the US or in Romania, and it will still be the same platform, the same mechanism. I mean, it's different, a little bit tweaked audience and a little bit of, uh, I don't know, tweaked targeting, of course. Uh, maybe at one place you have more uh, CTV on on YouTube, and the other place you have more uh, vertical uh, uh, vertical and mobile. But but the principle is still the same for across um, yeah the big players. Whereas the local one, that's where you really need the, the relevance. 
Um, I know uh, back in my previous agency at Mindshare, we used to buy programmatic for uh, for a brand across uh, across the globe, and that challenge, I mean, poses a lot of challenges because you can't buy. Uh, I mean, even though if you can uh, access the ad exchange in China, for instance, you have no idea what you're buying or if it's contextually relevant. I mean, is is you're just buying something like yeah. back back when programmatic was new and you you didn't know what you were buying basically. So you do kind of need. I mean, even though you can, you do need local relevance yeah. for uh, for for everything that is not the the global players. I would say. And and for um, that, do you have like local media planning and buying in in regions or do you you know at different you know, different schools of thought you can saturate the, the global players with you know 80 percent of the of the media spend and you know you could probably get away without doing any like local nuance but you know if you want to do like would you have a local planning and buying team um, to tap into that like really contextually relevant for that country yeah yeah, so we do have uh, we have um, a global uh, global media team that does all the the, the global awareness, and then every uh, every market has their own H uh, and M marketing office that does all the local activations as well, uh, and they uh, they have their own uh, media agency for local buying. So uh, for Russia, they and like you were saying, they they might do more uh, more events that are local to Russia or and more. Um, um, yeah, I don't remember the the Russian Twitter. What's the, what's the name? Uh, oh yeah, VK. Yeah, exactly. So they they might do that. Uh, whereas um, yeah, Sweden does all the the local uh, programmatic, all the out of home. So so you still need all those uh, nuances for for local markets. Whereas creative, um, mm. that is going uh, that uh, that is being centralized and. Um, to have that consistency in, in messaging, so we, so you can see the same ad in the U.S. or in Sweden, you still have the same consistency, the same look and feel, with maybe tweaks in in uh, in uh, the messaging nuances, the copy. Yeah. Um, you still yeah. do have some uh, some uh, some local uh, activations, uh, but they are more uh, more influencer activations, more podcasts, kind of, those kind of things that that don't use global uh, global creatives, because that all is uh, is one creative one creative rules rules them all basically i think i yeah. think that's what i've seen you guys you you hold your brand um look and feel and uh it is very consistent wherever you go so you see an h&m ad even if you don't speak the local language you know what ad it is and i think that is quite a quite a powerful um play that you've got i think it's also very difficult when you have local markets you know with their own budgets trying to you know hit their own goals um, tweak things that they shouldn't uh, but the fact that you guys have got such a uh, recognizable um, campaign platform or at least like a, a visual platform it's it's you know I think that's you've done that really really well yeah yeah I think so too and I mean, I mean it goes for all, all brands I mean you have a lot of great US brands that do the exact same thing it doesn't matter which country you're in you still recognize the brand you still want to buy it. like Coke for instance yeah. I mean it's, it's an easy example but wherever you are is, is the same Coke or McDonald's is, is the same meal is the same look and feel to everything and, and if you want to have a consistent brand recognition that's what you need to do if you're a massive player like that it used, um, I, I heard a joke back at the beginning of my career when I was working on the U.S. Marines account um, that uh, in any sort of conflict, the war, the U.S. Marines would come in first and then the Coca-Cola people would come in second to put up the billboards. 
um, it's funny because it's true. It is definitely yeah. true. Um, Jan, how are you guys looking and thinking about the future of sustainability? Obviously, a big topic uh, in many of the countries. Um, what does the future of fashion look like vis-a-vis -vis sustainability? And kind of tying it into Alex's previous question of like global versus local nuances, is it sort of um, is it as relevant for for all the markets you guys might be in? Is that going to be the new sort of RTB reason to believe? for millennials for the new generation that's be becoming a part of your kind of consumer base definitely definitely i mean it's uh, i don't know because i think the report came out now the the yearly report that our ceo commented on uh, and i don't remember which year it was but but we do want to be um uh, sustainable with, in everything we do because right now uh, if you look at, at all the garments at h&m.com you'll see uh, how much percent of that has been uh, refabricated reused and uh, from renewable materials so i think the, the goal is 100 percent within i don't know how many years but that is the goal Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that is relevant for, for all markets because that is that is uh, the DNA, that, that is the brand's vision, right? Um, and it's quite interesting if you look at uh, at Gen Z that everyone is, is uh, crazing about right now. Uh, it used to be the millennials, now it's the Gen Z. Uh, soon it will be Generation Alpha, uh, etc. But yeah, but they are all also about sustainability and everything. But if you look at, uh, at the US, you have Sheen, right? Which is exploding uh, and taking market shares from, from yeah. old-fashioned designers. And Sheen is from China. No one knows what's going on there. It's not sustainable. It's it's not inclusive. It's not diverse. It's it's just cheap, fast fashion. Yeah. Um, so and, and it's going really well. Uh, the Gen Z, right? So so that's kind of the opposite of of what H and M tries to do. And I think that Gen Z wants to be um, conscious about climate and everything, but don't really have yeah. the money to do it just yet. So, so you need to like work on them to to be uh, yeah. A sustainable brand that they will uh, start buying as well. I mean, I'm not saying that H&M is expensive, but it's still a bit more expensive than Sheen because Sheen is just, I mean, it's free basically, right? Well, it's 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 also H&M uh, along with uh, brands like Zara pioneered sort of the fa uh, the fast fashion concept, which has been criticized um, and you know blamed for creating waste in the fashion industry and it's kind of funny that well it's not funny i think it's the evolution of the brand and the evolution of the consumer that right now we can think of h&m as a brand that is legitimately on a path to sustainability but behind it are coming up with the sheens of the world like the primarks in the uk where you know the low 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 pricing seems to be winning the debate over well do i want to be more sustainable or do i want to just have something that looks nice for today and that's cheap um yeah. so it seems it seems like that natural tension among consumers and brands is going to continue to be a headache for um, for some time to come. Yeah, completely agree. But I'm really, yeah, really happy to, to see that uh, HM has uh, yeah is working so hard towards uh, a complete sustainable sustainable brand because uh, yeah, I mean it's, it's the only way forward, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I mean not for just sure. for not just for clothes, but for uh, fashion is for, for yeah, pretty much I everything. Well, for Scandinavian brands, I think especially because it's, uh, I think the the region is associated with sustainability and progressive progressive thinking. I see, you know, what Volvo's been putting out there. It's you know replacing leather yeah. with you know sustainable materials. I, I think it's just it's very 
right to the brand from 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 that region to be 100% kind of oriented towards sustainability. Yeah, yeah, and it's gone even. I would say it's gone even too far in some instances. I just read that uh, that the media agencies in, in Sweden are starting to, uh, to think about uh, climate compensating and uh, and seeing how to uh, advise their clients on on climate positive ads. I don't know how they would do that with I don't know not showing ads on the internet because it's too much electricity yeah. i don't know but yeah but it, it's that <laughs> oh that level of of sustainable thinking in, in sweden uh, at the moment yeah wow. wow that's a very advertising agency thing to do i think yeah right um i want to i want to chat just a little bit uh and it doesn't have to be specifically h&m um but um just a little on the desktop versus mobile, um, both web and app uh, debate that's been um, raging for the last few years. When I was at a mobile performance agency, it was all about app and it was all about mobile web. And then you know you kind of go to the more larger digital performance agencies and whilst app and web are important, desktop is still the, the key player for, um, for a lot of e-commerce brands. What do you, what, where do you stand on this? Like how important is mobile web or, or no app install and getting someone into your, uh, into your property on their phone, um, you know, versus desktop or do you have to think about them? Not one or the other winning the race, but combined, how do you reach them across all of the different screens and sizes of screen? Uh, that's a that's a very interesting question. I mean, I uh, just in general in Sweden, it's uh, it's mobile first as everywhere, but I think it's it's kind of to the extreme here uh, mm-hmm. because we've had such a good uh, internet and mobile internet for so long and so accessible uh, to everyone. I think the internet coverage is like ninety nine or ninety eight percent in Sweden. So basically, everyone's got internet and everyone's got yeah majority like sixty percent's got it's got an iPhone and the other. Uh, it's got a I don't know a small uh, uh, Samsung or uh, or an Android, but uh, but everyone's got a uh, it's got a smartphone. Uh, so everyone is planning. I mean, you are planning uh, mobile web first, I would say, and then app because like the rest of the world, I don't think Sweden is unique in that way that people are getting tired of apps. I mean, just app for everything. So some apps, maybe just the, the bigger players like Meta, for instance, are creating the the super apps so you don't have to leave them. But uh, but in Sweden, you, you don't have like one native app. Uh, a local native app that that uh, conjoins uh, all the other apps. You still need to have apps for everything, and it's just really annoying. So mobile web is starting to actually come out on top, but I don't think. Uh, but still, um, desktop is, is not to be frowned upon. I mean, looking now, when you were working from home for two years, everyone's on a desktop all the time. So I think it's come it's doing a, a comeback as well, uh, and also everyone when you yeah pre-pandemic we were still at work uh, on desktop so uh, so it was still quite important to have it uh one thing that is neglectable though is uh is tablets i think that is yeah i I mean here what i know is uh is mostly like parents having it for their kids to watch uh, youtube shows (laughs) that's pretty much it (laughs) that's what i see the primary use case in general as well yeah. yeah right. It's a, so, it, yeah. a $500 pacifier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As so I think, I think it's um, uh, this is you know, me as a as a consumer of of stuff. Um, 
usually it's re- research on desktop and then once i've found it because you know having the bigger screen to be able to have multiple tabs and to quickly go between two and i've said this to gorsha when we used to we were in irl together in the office they'd be like i want my ipad and it doesn't and, and you go through the tabs and i have to refresh the, the the page every time and it's infuriating and on your phone it's it's almost impossible to go look at multiple tabs at, at even sequentially because they move around so it's like desktop research and then i go to my phone because it has all of my credit cards saved and it's much easier to buy but yeah i go to my phone on either in an app that i have my um my you know payment details saved or on my browser because the iphone saves it all very handily for me um so it's like you know you kind of use all of them and I, you know, I don't have a, a set way to buy, but you know, which makes it really difficult for the e-commerce brands following me around to try and tell me or try and get me at my my weakest point. Uh, so <laughs> I think it's like, you know, when when we have these discussions, like I think your point is right about the app, and like unless you're, you know, loyalty, you're a loyal member, or you have a reason to have an app on your phone because you go back a lot. You know, for example, me with Wine.com. I love having the app because it's got everything I need right there. But for a one-off purchase or infrequent purchases, to have to install an app is a big barrier, big friction for me. So mobile web or desktop because it's it's much faster. <clears throat> let me let me tell you about the installing the app. Yes. Um, a Japanese fast fashion retailer who shall not be named, <laughs> but starts rhymes with. I'm not even gonna rhyme you know, it. I think we all know. Yeah, you can't, you can't. Yeah, they're very unique little about <laughs> their name. Um, they uh, they incentivize you at the ch- at the cash register um, to download their app oh, so yeah. you can get five dollars off, right? Their store, their flagship store in LA is in Santa Monica. It has zero zero that cell phone signal. Their Wi-Fi requires you to opt in to I don't know how many things before you can hop on it. And so they create a humongous physical line of people because their associates are asking you to download the app, register there so you can get your $5 discount. And people are cheap. They do it, you know. Um, and so you have a line for a mile because of, some, because, because of essentially what you described. And there has to be an easier way of getting people opted in and retaining them. Um, in your digital ecosystem without without having them lose the incentive, but also without creating physical yeah. problems. I have, a, I have another app, app story, uh, a uh, online furniture retailer, um, which has very fair prices. Um, they run Instagram ads, which are basically, and they show you, you know, they, also the, the ads are, are insane. They've got some really insane products. You're like, what is this? And I wanted to go tap onto it and go try and figure out like what is this like box that they're trying to sell for eight thousand dollars, and um, and they're basically install ads. And I'm not gonna go from Instagram to install your ad to go look at a thing like that is just no. not gonna happen. You haven't given me a good enough reason to install yet. So you're running a lot of ads, your CPMs. I'm clicking on it and I'm abandoning the install because you've created a a, a, a user journey that's irrelevant to me at that time uh, anyway rant over the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah you spend a lot of time i'm sure thinking about acquiring new customers um 
and in your previous roles as well. Um, how do you think about retention? It's a huge topic here because there is so much competition um, for among um, in kind of in the, in the same business sets, right? So like in streaming wars, it's all about retention as much as it is about acquisition. In retail, how are you thinking about this? Um, is retention a big uh, a big ask for the digital team? Um, I would say yes. I could, would it do. I couldn't dwell too much into it because I'm I'm all on brand side, so so I kind of left that on the on the agencies, which I'm very happy about that I've left because I do <laughs> prefer branding so much more than performance. Uh, but yeah, I would say that that, that is uh, a big topic for I mean for every uh, not only the retail but uh, every advertiser in in Sweden as well, obviously. Um, and also because the country is not huge, I mean we are what 10 million people, so uh, so there is a small pool of of uh, people to or users and potential customers to fight about. Um, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, I don't really have a good answer on that one, unfortunately. Other than that, well, I feel like I, I, I feel like we, I feel like that what we experience here uh, is a is a global challenge for brands mm-hmm. in general, right, Alex? You would say um, retention. You know, you spent all the all this money through brand advertising, through performance advertising, trying to get someone down the funnel, and then companies, brands that don't really focus on retention, like it's just money wasted because someone is going to swoop right in with a lower price or a better one-time offer and that's it that person's gone um yeah so i think that's a that's an incredible challenge kind of globally how do you try to um how, you know i think it'd be an interesting thing to have a discussion at some point as well because i wonder if for a global brand like an h&m or any global brand do you rely on different triggers you know like how much do you rely on push notifications in yeah. one market to bring someone back into the loop versus in the us you might be really relying on um emails where it's still a huge component of the retention play or on sms notifications so i think the the, the market nuances there would be interesting to some point uh, to discuss and dive into but um fair play and actually Jan, you mentioned that um you know, you were happy to leave the world of the agencies behind. Um, we wanted to switch a little bit to this um, and just ask you kind of for, you know, we ask we ask our guests to share some advice with anyone who might be listening, who might be thinking about um, their own career decisions, uh, whether, you know, they're just at the start of their career or towards, um, you know, towards the middle of it. Um, how do you, you know, what what led you into the agency world and what led you to think about uh leaving the agencies like what were what were the triggers and how would you characterize your um you know your time spent in in both places yeah that's a that's a good one um so i think i i got into agency because i was uh interested in marketing generals so I, I don't think i was really knowing what i was uh, getting myself into to be completely honest uh but i ended up in adops and if you are gonna work uh in in digital i think that is the absolutely best place to to start with because you get to know all the basics all the ins and outs it's not a glamorous uh, start, but I think st- uh, starting a, at an agency and starting with ops was the absolutely best thing uh, to start my, my career in, uh, in digital media, definitely. Um, because, yeah, I learned so much. Um, I know an ad server <laughs> in and out, which normally you just know what it is and not exactly what it does. Uh, and it, it's a massive help to to understand it uh, and understand how DSPs, the SSPs, ad uh, exchanges, and everything plug into it. 
mm-hmm. but I would say that that and just agency life and the work in general has given so much because yeah, both of you know this that you get to work on so many different clients, so many different uh, verticals, different industries, uh, and you do pretty much everything. You get to touch everything. Even if you just work in, in just in digital, you're still going to plan some out of home. You're still going to help out doing some TV or uh, or print ads. So you get to learn so much. Uh, the flip side of that is, of course, um, the, the amount of work you do. Because uh, one year in, in an agency feels like three years in normal life. And uh, so it's, it's just so much, to, but it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's fast track learning uh, and it's learning by doing so quickly. Um, so, th- so that was kind of my point as well, that, that I felt that I've, I've done all, I've learned, I wouldn't say everything that I've, uh, that I ever can, but I, I think I've learned enough to move on from the agency. I'm, I'm kind of done with, uh, with just scratching the surface, just delivering media plans and strategies, but not seeing the whole picture. And I think that's from what I heard is quite common for people who work for a long time in agency. Uh, you get kind of like you're stuck at one point. You can't get deeper with within the one brand and help them see the whole picture. I mean, you don't do organic. You don't see what happens uh, after two years after they've uh, you've done the brand advertising. You just see the media plan right here and now, or um, a full year media plan for for a specific buy. So I think that kind of pushed me to to go to uh, to the brand side uh, and also. The, the stress as well. I mean, I was yeah. I was <laughs> I was kind of I was kind of done done with that. Even though I enjoy uh, fast pace and still fast pace at at H and M, but it's not agency fast paced. Uh, which uh, which so I would say if anyone is interesting in in the media and, and marketing, go for a year or two to to an agency if you want. Do ad ops, but because that is that is ideal. But do an agency uh, to to just learn about everything, get the network, uh, and then move to a brand side. Because I think if you start on a brand side and then go to an agency, you don't know what's going on. It's way too much happening. You have too many stakeholders. You have uh, too many plans, you have too many budgets, um, and and too much responsibility for a too junior role many times as well. That's, that's very that's very true. All of that is very true. Um, I think <laughs> I I went through the same thought process as you did, which was I you know as much fun as it is doing media plans and working on loads of different clients all the time. It's it's the same cycle of of work, and you don't get to really impact how the brand operates unless you know you're very senior or you have very good connections into the brand but really by the time the brief gets to you it's it's set in stone it's very very unlikely uh you know 99 times out of 100 you will not be able to change that because your client has had to get it approved by everyone on their side and you go back to them with a you know we shouldn't be doing this and they're like cool thanks for the input now go and do it please and you don't get that you know but but brand side and I, from my experience in the last seven months, it's I'm working with product teams, I'm working with design teams, I'm working with you know, a bunch of different internal teams to help shape what goes to market. And that for me is really interesting. And like the, for me, that's the stark difference between agency side and, and brand side, which is you, know, you get to own the advertising slice of the pie when you're in the agency side, but then at brand side, you own the whole pie and you have to distribute all the slices yeah. to all the different people. And it's a much different challenge 
and a, for me, a much more fulfilling challenge. I completely agree. Completely agree. What, when, so now having been on both sides, um, what do you think makes a good agency and what do you think makes a good client? Oh, um, I've actually thought about that because I'm, when I'm talking to my agency in London, I'm trying to be a good client. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say a, a good agency, um, the, the classic, I saw a meme the other day on, on Instagram that is, um, I think, like consulting humor or whatever that uh, someone quits their job uh, at an agency uh, and, and employ, an employee asks, all right, so you're going to hire someone for, for uh, to, to replace this person? No, no way. All right, so you're going to pay us extra? to do all the work no no way and then all everyone starts uh, starts uh, leaving the company and then the manager management is asking themselves why is everyone leaving <laughs> so i think that is kind of that is kind of true for a lot of agencies that they push the the people that work too hard so a good agency is actually i mean i know it's uh, you have to look at the cost you have to look at uh, profit and loss and everything but it, if uh, your employees uh, in an agency, if you have a little bit more time to think about what you're actually doing and not just delivering, uh, you will do a much better job and the clients will notice that and appreciate that and you will want to do a better job and stay at the place as well. Because, I mean, you'll find great people wherever you go, but if you burn them out, I mean, they are eventually going to move move away. And if the people that are stuck, they're going to have to pick up the pieces, they're also going to move after a while. So I think that it's the healthy culture in an agency. I think that is key because you'll, you'll have great uh, strategic minds in every agency. You'll have uh, great uh, analysts. You'll have great programmatic traders in every agency. You'll find them. But what makes one agency better than the other is actually the, the work environment. If, if you're not working, working yourself to death, then you actually want to stay there for a longer time, which also makes the clients happier. Because if you have a team that you know is strong and works for you for, uh, for a couple of years, you, you develop a bond, they understand the brand a bit more than if you complete, uh, constantly change people, no matter how good they are. I mean, they're just going to be uh, that much they can do in, I don't know, a year that they are on compared to a longer period that, that they were on. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do you think, how do you feel about I mean, that? I think being able to think about what you're doing, uh, bef rather than just reacting, I think is really important. And I think, uh, experience I had with, with an agency and, and a particular account, uh, director, they were working on an influencer campaign or like they were sourcing influencer networks and, you know, if they didn't have enough time or if they didn't care, they would have just sent us the proposals and said, here are the different ones, let us know what you think. But this account director looked at each one, put them into a, into a chart, did pros and cons for each of them, cost analysis of like, you know, you're gonna get this for this much money. And she was like, my recommendation is this one because of all of these reasons. And you're like, wow, that's, that's really impressive. You did all of this work and it really felt like you had our brand at the, uh, like solving our business problem at the heart of what you're trying to do. And you really could tell that was a good agency person who, you know, maybe they didn't have a lot of time, but they put the effort in. Um, and for me, I think that that is what makes a really good agency, whether it's media or creative, it's you're solving the client's business problem first 
and anything else is like a bonus Um, and it's and you can tell when there's a an agency that wants to solve what wants to work and make the client's job easier you know because that's what they're they're employed to do Uh, and when there's one which is like we're going to use this client to achieve a different agency goal and i think it's very easy for for agencies to do that because they have to make money because they have to keep the lights on but you you're doing that expense of the people who make you money and keep the lights on yeah yeah that's it i think i i think you guys are both touching on on something that i think is fundamentally critical to this ecosystem um creating value rather than destroying itself uh clients have to be good clients in order for agencies to do good work and I'll just say it like clients have to pay the money in order for that to be the reality, right? If you are if you're if you're a brand a client with a lot of expectations, but you're unwilling to retain the resources required to meet those expectations, what's an agency going to do? It's going to continue to understaff and pull those people into new pitches or start splitting their time 15 different ways. If you're a brand that's serious about what you want your agency partnership to um, to accomplish, yeah. pay, yeah, invest, 100%. like it's an investment, right? And if you invest, if you lock those people up, if you create kind of a financial stability for the agency um, to keep those people on your account and to uh, do the right thing, they will. And uh, and if they can't, then it's truly, you know, the agency and not the circumstances of, uh, of, of how the whole financial system in this uh, relationship works. So. I think that's that's been my biggest frustration with uh, seeing how clients treat agency relationships. I think less and less yeah. in a partnership sort of way, and more and more in a vendor in a vendor type way, where squeezing the margins and expecting more for less has become the norm. Especially in the UK, where I feel like that 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 was just yeah. a constant race to the bottom. Um, yeah, it, I mean we've it, lost it, pitches because the yeah. other agency basically gave it away for free for a year, and it was you know like, you can't compete with that. How do you how do you stop a team of yeah. you know, 25, 30 people for a year and basically say to the client, you know, our, our product is not that great that we're going to charge you for it for one year. Like what what does that say about your agency, your team, the the all of the agencies, like the industry in general, if you can just go in and and, and discount that heavily? Um, and I, but then I think on the flip side, the clients, you have to you have to put in the effort as much as the agency do to be. A good partner because if you give crap briefs if you flip-flop on what you're doing if you demand stuff in you know a week when it takes two months if you brief uh, a unrealistic kpi and then the agency has to try and find a way to make it happen otherwise they don't get paid like that you know you create the circumstances in which the agency delivers their work so if you you know, if you have a very thought through brief that's been through rounds before it gets to the agency that has buy-in from everyone that they can take and then they can build on and they have enough time to actually deliver you a, a, a media plan specific for this and not just you know file save as last week's plan for this week or other clients plan for this client you know it, it's it, time and, and, and effort you have to put in as much as they do otherwise you're you yeah. you you, you give crap you get crap you know and they pay the money you, you was it pay peanuts you get monkeys yeah <laughs> it just just to add to that as well just, uh, maybe i'll find a point for me that 
<laughs> from from the client side, I mean, you also have to take action on recommendations from the media agency and give feedback yeah. as well. Because I I feel that uh, coming from the agency, you uh, when you work with a client and actually really like them, you put a lot of effort in, in into your reply to to the debrief or to the media plan, and then you get back it's like, no, let's let's just do what I want anyway. Um, you, you want to do a great job and, and why are they then hiring you? They are just hiring an admin person to do uh, what they what they want. So I think that's quite quite important from a client perspective as well. I mean, you are hiring these people for their expertise with yeah. media. So uh, so do listen to it, do give feedback if you, if you don't like the idea, uh, but, but they are giving their best uh, solution because they are, I mean, good at what they do right so that's why they why you're paying yeah, them. yeah exactly you're paying them for their expertise and why don't you, why don't you listen yeah you listen to it i think why i think that's you? why like yeah. uh, uh, ex-agency or recovering agency folks who are now clients are either the best clients or the worst clients and there's no like middle ground there's no like yeah it's, it's one or the other because yeah. you have the great ones because they understand all the work that goes in they understand what they're asking for and they understand how to deliver information and feedback and then there's the other ones which for the same reasons make life hell for agencies because like i went through this i know how i can treat you and they are generally the worst clients you could work for yeah i really hope um, i really hope yeah I same the worst client ever. <laughs> they'll be listening to this and and and, and, yeah. and thinking yeah, what a great what a great client yeah. Jan is. um Jan, final final question for you, uh, but one that touches on a trend that we've been seeing for a few years now of uh, taking things in-house. Um, benefits of having in-house planning uh, and buying versus having an agency. How do you see it? 100% agency. Um, I do not believe in taking everything in-house. Um, I, I think if you want to take a, a, everything in-house, you need a massive, massive team because you do need, I mean, you all know the costs of of uh, programmatic all the all the tech and everything um you do need uh, all the expertise i mean you can't do the tv negotiations uh, if you're not a massive brand by yourself you can't do great uh, sponsorships you uh, you don't have the clouds uh, with that so so i do think you need the agency as well for as we just spoke about the expertise from uh, from the agencies you won't be able to have all of that in-house uh, and if you do you'll have basically you'll have a, an agency within your uh, within your brand which is uh, which is yeah not sustain sustainable to have because it's just going to cost way way too much yeah i think i think that's a, such a brilliant answer um we we've we touch on this topic alex and i on this show and in person a lot and i feel alex would be true to say that some of the biggest brands we've seen take things in house have then turned around and given yeah. that stuff right back to the agencies because yeah. of all I mean, the things Jan just said. When you look at the the cost involved with like staffing and you know buying all the tech and setting up all the tracking and doing all of the analytics and buying, you know, it just it just becomes unbelievable, and then you lose all of your leverage. I mean, the whole reason you know the whole reason holding companies basically exist is so they can buy centrally get the massive discounts that they can then pass on to the, well, in theory, pass on to the clients. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, the, oh God, we were, of course we were pitching someone once and I think we basically did some, some back of the napkin math that said, if you go with this agency, the, the, the money you save on ad tech basically covers the fee for the agency. So you're getting, 
<laughs> yeah, I was, I was, th- I was thinking about <laughs> like the, the, exactly right. Yeah, just the money, the money saved so on EdTech alone covers our fee. A, yeah. An agency team to work on your business for the same for free if you were gonna spend it yourself. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would say the other, the, the other challenge there is uh, career progression because sure you can start an agency inside your, uh, inside the brand uh, and you hire a bunch of great people and yeah. then where, where where do they go you know because and I've experienced that working in a marketing capacity in a company whose primary objective was not marketing right at some point you're like I I, I can't go anywhere I have to either leave or just completely requalify and so you end up losing talent after a year or two. Um, it's hard, whereas with, you know, agencies are able to, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with the agency hiring and um, promotion process, but in general, they're able to retain people and move them up and, and kind of have have that expertise remain. Would you agree with that? Jan? Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and that is also very important to see, like all the influence and the knowledge uh, that is shared across teams that are working on different clients, uh, buying different uh, different verticals and different industries. You don't have that within in-house. They're just doing like programmatic, for instance, they're just buying programmatic for that one brand. They do not get the, the latest um, tech updates. I mean, we do work in an industry that likes to run before they before we crawl. So, so you do need to know everything that's happening, and you do get that in an agency that you can pass on to your client. You don't get that in house. Well, so here are three people who really. <laughs> believe in in the role the agency is playing that's uh and and that's despite all three yeah. of us having left the agency <laughs> world uh to work to, to work on brand side but yeah and everything you've said i think from from the role agencies play and kind of giving you the foundation to be a great marketer to what we just discussed in the client uh relationship i think makes makes a total sense and uh, something that alex you and i very much subscribe to um Jan, uh, this has been a great conversation um Thank you for taking the time to share with us your perspectives, uh, giving us a little bit of the insight on uh, on the very unique and very very powerful Scandinavian kind of market and, and brand landscape. And uh, we, um, we we took a lot out of this uh, out of this chat. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for having me. It was it was a great pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, I hope it was. Uh, uh, yeah, li- people who listen in are gonna be enjoy it as much as I did talking to you guys. And uh, yeah, it's also quite fun to see that the, the the nuances between Sweden and the US. I mean, it's not too diff- different, is yeah. it? <laughs> so uh, uh, I really enjoy talking it's, to you guys. It's... All right. Likewise. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you so much.